and welcome to Living Stones, a podcast of conversations with the people of Red Mountain Community Church, highlighting the victories and struggles, the snapshots and stories of the people sitting right next to you on Sunday morning. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions and your fellow seat warmer at Red Mountain Community Church. My co-host today is Matt Gibson, our pastor of Young Adults and Student Ministries, and one of two former RMCC worship pastors in this room. I don't know if we should start a club or a support group or... What would we talk, what would the meetings be like? What would we talk about if it was a, let's say if it was a support group? Oh, boy. Or a club, um, either way. What what would be the content of that, you think? Hi, goodness. Um, the trauma experience from doing that song we used to do all the time where they stand in the bridge. What's that song called, Jessica? Oh. The Stand. The Stand. It's called The Stand. Oh, how yeah. appropriate. <laughs> How, how often that song was requested. Is that the one, I'll stand, arms high, yeah. on a bandit, and where you're not a real Christian if you don't put your arms yeah. up? Yeah, and if you don't like stand. That? And if you don't stand, that's We did right. that from 05 to yeah. 13, maybe, yeah. twice twice a week, maybe three times a week. <laughs> I'm just glad it's not my gig anymore. It mm. was a good time, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, just does a wonderful job. Jessica is like, I don't think I've ever met anybody that like is more fit for the role of worship pastor than Jessica. And I'm a little bit biased. I'm a little bit biased because she was my intern for a short little oh, while, no. but uh, that's been really cool. Great. Um, I, it's neat to have you here, though. Well, it's a, actually a little intimidating, too, because we are recording in my office space right now, guys, because there was just some scheduling stuff. And so whenever things go awry in scheduling, then my office is like the backup recording location where I uh, do some recording stuff. But I don't know, like, Matt is like really knows his stuff technically as far as recording. And like, you know, like the terminology and stuff, I have been for like the last 12 plus years just beating my face against the wall <laughs> until it sounds the way I want it to. Hey. And I don't know any of, like, if I if you sat me in a room with other people that did recording stuff, I would, like, just, like, have a blank stare while this, they talk. Well, you're doing great, and it's oh. been a long time for me, so this is this is fun. Are you, wait, well, hang on, because we were, before we were recording, you said something about, are you still doing any recording? You used to do some songwriting and recording. Are you doing any of that yeah, anymore? Yeah, I did production and songwriting and recording from 2000 to... Oh, gosh, you know, 2009, 2010, I had a company, and then uh, took a few years break, and then stopped playing music in 2013, and just this last year, I've started to mix a little bit on the side, but okay. there's between the kids and wife and church, and... Is that mixing for you, or like for other people? For other or? artists, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah, just for, for friends and, cool. and old clients, and just every once in a while, I want to have some space and time, I'll... Is that fun, or is that like a little fun, a little extra side gig? It's great. Or? Yeah, it's both. It's, okay. uh, yeah, I've, stuck, I've got a little Pro Tools rig and a little cool. Apollo set up, and it's at my house. It's cool. Nice. It's great. Okay, so what you're doing now doesn't involve any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question I like to ask all of the pastors that co-host mm-hmm. with me the first time they come is, what would you say, two-part question, what's the, the most fun or natural part of your job mm. uh, that just kind of suits your wiring or whatever, however you want to read that question? Mm-hmm. And then follow-up would be, what's the hardest or most challenging part of your uh, job? Mm. Uh, my favorite part of my job is sitting with people in my office and talking about Jesus. Okay. I think that, you know, as a young man, I had young men, you know, other men and women who were a few steps beyond me in the faith just sit with me and listen to me and let me wrestle through my doubts and struggles. And it's, I count a privilege to sit with people in the midst of whether it be their joy, their pain, or whatever it may be to sit and just talk about the person that we love and Mm. talk about the 
beauties of it and the mysteries of it and the frustrating things about it and the things that don't make sense. And, yeah. Um, I think that the most challenging part of my job is probably my wiring of just I'm still growing in it, even at, at 40 years old and doing it for you know, 20 years, setting good boundaries. I mm. think I look at Jesus and how he balances the way of life of of time with the Father and time with his disciples and giving himself away to the crowds. Yeah. And I've never really gotten, you know, I have it for a week or two weeks or a month and I'm I'm sabbathing well and I'm but saying no is not easy, you know, when someone needs you on a weekend and you say, "Well, Saturday's my day." You just sometimes set a good boundary and sometimes you don't and so I think learning to um be okay with no and feeling like mm. um my job is to serve people, but but Jesus is the one who's saving. Jesus is the one who's rescuing, and yeah. and it's okay sometimes to say no. I've I've never, you know, excelled at that, and so that's probably the most difficult part of my job, and mm. and difficult in my family. And so Adrian's good to be there and remind me in a loving way of when I need to say no. And mm. so, yeah. If you had to choose, um, would you rather learn fire eating or sword swallowing? Oh boy. Both sound pretty awful. Uh, I would, he barely even blinked at that, everybody. He was just ready to go with me there. I'm going to go <laughs> door number one. I'm going to go fire eating. Fire eating? Yes. Yeah, Why? Sword just feels like... It feels like I ruined... Like I'm, I'm definitely going to die if a sword goes down my throat. <laughs> yeah. Like I wouldn't be able to handle the gag reflex or the... Yeah. I'm like, I'm dying. The fire thing feels like, well, maybe I get out of that alive. Maybe. I'm thinking. I was. I was really trying to puzzle through this because my that was my knee jerk reaction okay. too. Is like the fire because that's got to involve just having like I don't know. It didn't say fire blowing, so there's got to uh. be maybe there's some kind of liquid in your mouth. You could put it out fast, and if you start with a match or something, maybe mm. you can work your way up. But then I thought, well, you would start with not a sword if you're learning sword swallowing. So you would start with what, like a wet spaghetti noodle or something, like a toothpick, or, I mean, yeah. a toothpick, maybe yeah. or like a popsicle stick or something. Man, I'm still choosing fire though. That's weird. Yeah. I don't want to put anything down my throat. This I think so. I think because I I'm a singer and I use my uh. voice a lot, and I'm like I don't want to be messing with like. Sharp instruments. Mm. In there. <laughs> mm. All cool. right. That was good. That was good. All right. Well, earlier today, Matt and I spent some time talking with Chuck Broad, who served for many years as a missionary overseas and continues teaching outgoing missionaries today. We spent some time getting to know him and his experiences some more. Here's that conversation right now. Well, Chuck, thank you for, first off, for coming and doing this. Um, appreciate you taking time out and doing... Have you ever, I mean, have you ever listened to a podcast or have you been on a podcast before, anything like that? Yes, I watched one of, not all of it, but most of it one time. Oh, one of like, of, of our Red podcasts? Mountains, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. Well, I'm glad that you decided to come out and, and be okay with doing this. I know that for some people it can be a little nerve-wracking, but hopefully... We're just down home, normal people, not too weird and scary. Sure. Okay. <laughs> and no problem. This is cool for me because I uh, I've just kind of known you f- for a few years as a familiar face that comes in and prays before you know uh, uh, the service starts. You know, with the worship team mm-hmm. beforehand. But I haven't really 
known anything about your background or anything like that. And when when uh, uh, Arian and uh, Jessica were explaining to me, you know, uh, who you were and what your background was, I was like, oh, okay, this is this is cool because I think a lot of people, myself included, you know, will have different ideas of what it what it is to be a missionary, what that life looks like. And so to have someone in who's spent their life doing that kind of work um, is really kind of a cool opportunity for us to kind of pick your brain a little bit and kind of hear about some of your experiences and stuff. Um, when did you become a believer in Jesus, or when did your faith really become your own? Um, I was I grew up in Arkansas and was in our church as a young person, but then when I became a teenager in high school. I kind of walked away from the church. I only reason I'd go to church if that's where the girls were going. <laughs> right. Pretty girls. So yeah. <laughs> that was and uh then I went in the Air Force after I graduated from high school. Okay. And I found myself uh as an unbeliever going over to Okinawa and during the Vietnam War. Wow. And I during that time it was that I came across a friend of mine that was a Christian living the life uh, there as an airman. And I got to be friends with him, and he began to invite me down to this uh, place at the time was called Overseas Christian Servicemen Center. And I went down there one time. I never thought I would, but because we usually rode the bus from where I was stationed downtown to party. Okay. And he'd get off the bus and go in there. I thought, no way am I ever going to go in there because mm. we were always making fun of him. Mm. Mm. When he got off. But anyway, I went down there with him because of his life and things. Hmm. And the missionaries there uh, had what they called a new life hour uh, on Friday nights for servicemen. It was, they'd come in after the week of work and things, the Christians and other people. And so there was a missionary that usually spoke that traveled through the area. Okay. And they shared the gospel. Mm. And that night, as I went and was pondering that, I said, Lord, I, I need to give my life to you and, hmm. and accept this Jesus that I've been hearing about. Hmm. And so it was that point that God really got a hold of my heart, began to put away things that were part of my life before and following him and the missionaries there took me in there under their wing and fed me hmm. uh, for another year after that. Hmm. But it was just there that I found the Lord and began to follow him. Amen. And then it's... At some point after that, um, you find yourself with your wife, Judy, serving as missionaries for a number of years. So, like, how did you, after becoming a believer, initially come to take an interest in missionary work? Well, I think that sparked something in me as I saw that other culture that I was in. But I was still growing. I was still young. So I came back to the U.S. and I was stationed in San Antonio as a single person. And uh, there was a man there working, that lived there, that was an airman, an older man, had many years in serving. And he had a Bible study group, you know, of men and women, and he had a home that he would invite us over to. So I would go there. And we went to conferences with the navigators. Okay. I was, he was around them, and I became uh, involved with them at a military base there. And... Uh, it was through those conferences, missionaries would come through and talk about missions. And that kind of still stirred the pot a little more, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
still single. And then in uh, uh, 1968, just as I was getting out of the Air Force, I went to a conference at Estes Park. Okay. A collegiate conference, and there was about 3,000 collegians there from all over the U.S. And the mission, the speakers were missionaries. Okay. And so this last one that spoke at that conference that time was uh, Bob Boardman, who was a military guy, and he'd got injured in the war, and he could just barely talk. Hmm. But he really challenged people. He was a missionary now, and he challenged us about the mission field and uh, being willing to go. Hmm. And that was where the God, re- God really grabbed my heart. Hmm. And I committed, you know, I felt that call, and, and I committed myself if that's what God wanted. You know, he needed to prepare me. Hmm. So uh, God was patient, because after that, um, I went to college, got married, had a family. And at this and point, you you had already felt a call to to be involved missions. in missions. Yeah. Okay. So I was spent those years. Spent uh, it took fourteen years for him to give me wow. overseas. Okay. Because <laughs> of marriage and college and sure. uh, growing and uh, get, getting prepared mm-hmm. and the family. So in uh, 1982, we arrived in Liberia. Okay. We, this was after starting a family. Yeah. How. Three little kids. Okay, and how old were they when you started in Liberia? Three, six, and eight. Okay. Yeah. We had uh, two girls and a boy, a boy in the middle. And uh, it was interesting. I had um, the mission I joined uh, to go was SIM, Sudan Interior Mission, it started out being. And I went over to uh, them, back to them. I had come across them through a training program with the navigators I was at, and they came and spoke. And I wrote them and uh, asked about the preliminary of applications and, you know, applying for screening and all that. And then in uh, 1907, uh, what was it, 19, early 19, we, I mean, early, yeah, nine, late 1970s, okay. we went to a program for uh, candidates okay. out there with SIM headquarters. And consequently, from that, joined the mission and then went to Liberia, which what they did was we went to a orientation where they presented, SIM presented all the different fields they were on that we might be interested in and all the needs in that field. And so when I saw Liberia, it's, uh, you know, God just kind of led us. My wife and I to say that sounds like a, where we need to go. Hmm. What was that initial conversation like with your wife when, when you thought Liberia? How was her response, and what were those conversations like? Yeah, well, before I even asked her to marry me in in early seven nineteen seventy three, I told her I said, you know, there's this thing going on in my heart that God has put there. I think is genuine. We'll see what happens, but I want you to know if you say yes to this question, <laughs> I, uh, I might, uh, you might be overseas as missionary one day. Mm-hmm. And uh, so consequently, she knew about that. So we had discussed it. It had come up and down in those 14 years. You know, at one point I'd say, well, Lord, I guess we're going to be here, you know. So we'd get it grounded more, a little mm-hmm. bit more. And then... Things would happen, and the Lord would say, "Well, really, you know, mm. <laughs> have you forgotten?" Mm. <laughs> and so, after she and I both struggling with that, continuing to come up, we said, "You know, 
maybe God just wants us to knock on some doors and see what he'll do. That's mm. great. So we did with SIM. And yeah. I wrote other missions too, but they, that was the basic one that we were drawn to by the Lord. What Can you give me a, an overview of, you started out serving in Liberia, but you've served in several different places. Where, where, just as an overview, where did you serve over the course of your ministry career and for how long? Well, we were on the mission field 30 years. Okay. And we started out in Liberia from 1982 to 1989. And then the war came in 89. 89, yeah. We were home on home assignment. And... Oh. Uh, had three kids uh, ready to get back into school in Liberia. We were home through that summer, and um, the war came, got worse, and they all of our missions evac- missionaries evacuated. Hmm. So we said, what are we going to do? Yeah. So we went to our mission and said, uh, we can either put our kids in school here because it was August, getting to be August and, I, and we'll be here the rest of the year because we're not going to start them and take them out. That'd be two years home on home assignment. And uh, they, I said, or you can find a place we can go and hope that the war stops after a year, you know, by next year and then we can go back to Liberia. Well, the war went on till uh, from uh, uh, 89 to 2003. Oh, wow. 14 years and so after a year down in Bolivia, we went down there to okay. work at a school. Uh, we worked at a mission school that SIM has mm-hmm. for missionary kids and uh, nationals too. And so I taught some courses, Bible and social studies, and Judy worked with the um, younger kids, and uh, our kids went to school there. Mm-hmm. After the year, we said, well, the war is not over, what do we do? So we prayed and I um, went to the mission. I said, um, we really feel called back to Africa, even though our kids loved it in Bolivia. Mm. And uh, they called back to Africa, so uh, where is there a need? And they said, we just so happened that our church-related thing in, in Nigeria asked for a missionary who was involved in discipleship and, and pastoral training. Mm. Yeah. So when we read it, what they had written, I said, Judy and I both said, that looks like us. And they had a missionary kid's school there. Mm-hmm. It was an English-speaking situation, uh, mostly. And so we said, well, let's let them know. If they accept us, then you know, we'll know that's God's calling to go there. Mm-hmm. So we went to Nigeria in 1991. Okay. And was there for 20 one years. And that was the last place that you served at overseas, is that right? The last place. Okay, yeah. all right. Mm-hmm. What, uh, I feel like I'm getting just maybe some hints of what you were doing, but can you give me an idea of what your day-to-day work was, what the nature of the, the work was? Yeah, um, in uh, Liberia, it was a young church. Our, our uh, mission had a radio station and a hospital there. And my heart was, of course, was discipleship, equipping, and training. And so the church, uh, urban church, had just started. And we were just getting a focus on the urban areas because all the young people from the rural areas didn't want to farm. Okay. <laughs> they were soft. Mm. So they wanted to come into the cities. Hmm. And they, they came into the cities for education, basically. 
And so our ministries was reaching out to them and, and plant churches as they grew up and things and had leadership trained and equipped and things. Okay. So that was, it was a lot of evangelism and discipleship, that ministry. Okay. Was it like um, a lot of one-on-one stuff or classroom situations or? A little bit of both. Okay. Had groups. I had single people. Okay. And it was just uh, exciting to see God working, you know, in that. The churches grew, you know, different church. We had planted different churches after that. And it was called the Evangelical Church of Liberia. Okay. It wasn't connected with Evangelical Free. It's mm-hmm. just what they chose yeah. to name it. And uh, that basically was it, discipleship and mm. training. Okay. Chuck, we've talked about this before, but I think it'd be great for our people to hear, like, how that hunger for discipleship, that that call for you specifically and for your wife to... to uh, care for and to model the way of Jesus to other people and to and to invite them to do it with others. Where did that spark in you at what time in your life and and kind of grow? Was that in your days when you started following Jesus? Was it a little later? It started with the man in San Antonio when I went down there in the military mm. and then being involved with the Navigators, which was their big emphasis of discipleship and mm-hmm. maker of disciples. Yeah. So uh, it started there, mm. just to seeing the investment in the life of people to that degree and what change it can make. Yeah, I saw it in my life, what change it right. made and things. It's exciting. Yeah. Mm. On a similar track, what, um, as you look back, what specifically drew you to each of the places that you served at? Well, as I said, Liberia was basically because there was a deed there of um, someone to work with young believers and help them to grow up and mature to be disciples and then train them, equip them to be disciple makers. And so that was what was on my heart. And there was really, the person who was doing the urban church planning was leaving uh, Liberia. And so when we got there, we stepped into that and kind of mentored and, and equipped the leaders, pastors and the elders in the churches thing to do um, church of the work of the ministry there. Okay. So when we went to Bolivia, that was just a fill-in. We went there because it was a it would meet the need we hoped for a year. Okay. And it did because they needed some more teachers in the school, and my kids got into school. Okay. So ministering there was basically to students, you know, in the school, which was through the Bible that I was teaching in course for one of the grades. So Nigeria was, again, the the call of the church, you know, that asked our mission if they had anybody that was able to help. Hmm. So that was what drew us there. Okay. And um, it was amazing, you know, Tell you a lot more about that if you want it. <laughs> yeah, well, sure. Yeah, I mean, I want to hear where your heart's at. Well, it. I went there, and the um, the church of um, in Nigeria was called the Evangelical Church of West Africa too. Okay. And at that time, they had about a thousand churches. Today, they have about six thousand mm. local churches in Nigeria alone. Mm. They have their own mission agency. Mm, where wow. they're sending out Nigerians. We got missionaries in Chicago. Hmm. And that was a guy that I worked with, uh, you know, that's there now for a while. 
in a ministry there in Nigeria. Hmm. But um, what was exciting was they were wide open to get involved in discipleship because the, the general secretary of the church had said, we're a church a mile wide and an inch deep hmm. spiritually. Hmm. We haven't had the concentration on being a true disciple, and the pastors don't know what to do, and uh, others don't know what to do, you know. Once they become a Christian, mm. we're just we're seeing them come in the front door and out the back, mm. you know, and that happens in a lot of churches mm. that don't focus on spiritual growth mm. and things in the people. Yeah. So anyway, that was uh, Nigeria. It was just I I met with a team of um, older people in the church leadership, and. Uh, I took them uh, through some principles and things of discipleship and said, this is what I'm going to do. What do you think? They said, it's exactly what we need. Hmm. So I started and I worked with them for a while, you know, just helping them to learn so they could do some of the teaching too. And then I took seven uh, seminary students and started, I met with them. And they, in turn, uh, begin to disciple other people too. Okay. So the multiplication started, you know, like Second Timothy 2 2 says, Paul encouraged Timothy to uh, find faithful men who would be able to help others. Hmm. So it was Paul and Timothy and faithful men and others he was looking to reproduce. Yeah. And I find that that's, that's, that's what excited me is God wants disciples. Not just to be a disciple, he wants us to grow to be a disciple maker. He makes disciples, yeah. yeah, amen. You know, and once you do that, what do you see? Explode, you mm -hmm. know, growth, yeah, and things, and numbers, and it's not all just for numbers, but that's what happens. Yeah. So there's hundreds of pastors there now who caught the vision of that and are doing it. Wow, a thousand, I'd say, because there's seven thousand churches. That's awesome. I thought of you a few weeks ago, Chuck, when yeah. I was teaching on Sunday mornings. I don't know if you caught it, but I, I said there's more uh, Protestants in the country of Nigeria right now than there is in Germany, which is the foundation of yeah. Protestantism. Hmm. And when I read that statistic that week, you were the first person I thought of, of just faithful yeah. men and women, you and your wife and your family going there and being there for 22 years yeah. and loving people and caring for people and, mm -hmm. and believing that the nationals should be leading their church. So discipling and modeling the way of Jesus so that they can lead their churches. Yeah. And I just think that's exactly. yeah. powerful. Yeah, I had pastors tell me when we were working with them, one came to me weeping one time and said, you know, I've been a pastor for over 30 years. Mm. And I cannot name one person I know that's walking and being fruitful for the Lord. Hmm. Wow. And I just wept with him. Yeah. 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 Wow. When you, you know, speaking of those kind of like those hard moments, those hard experiences, I mean, there's, I think a lot of different thoughts come to mind as people try to picture in their head what it's like, what, what some of the difficulties are that are involved with being a missionary, whether that's um, difficulties with the work itself or personal uh, difficulties, just like really challenging or hard things, what kinds of things come to mind either when it comes to uh, accomplishing the work in front of you or just difficult in terms of your own experience and your family, whatever? I'm curious what comes to mind when you think about the difficult things of your time as a missionary. Well, one thing I guess comes to my mind is the balancing the life 
as a missionary, and that is you, you of course, want to put God first, you know, and make sure you're committed to following Him and, and spending time with Him and growing in Him personally. But then you have your family, and then you have your ministry. So there's a big pull there. That can be an obstacle if, it's not, if you're not aware of what's going to happen hmm. and things. It can really set people back, you know, because they burn out trying to do everything and or ignoring something that they shouldn't and things. Yeah. Was that something that you um, had some examples that you were able to follow that kept you from falling into some problems there? Or did you ever come to a place where you're like, I screwed up and I've given too much emphasis to A, B, or C? Yeah, I think everybody will experience that probably, yeah. you know, because you're, you're learning, you know, when you first get on the field, you're learning the culture. Yeah. Culture shock comes in and hmm. it's hard to be aware of that at first, you know, when you begin to think, uh, this is crazy, you know, how they do things or this culture, you know, how, how can they do this or that, you know? Yeah. Why do they eat what they eat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And adjust to that. But I think that um, God was gracious um, in those things in helping us to just be patient and learning when we struggled with things. Mm. But uh, use of time was a big factor, mm. you know, of learning how to use it and balance it out. Mm. If otherwise, you just, something's going to get neglected somewhere. Yeah. And we weren't always perfect. There's times, you know, I knew my family was hurting. Mm. And I had to have somebody wake me up about it, or hmm. my wife say something, yeah, say something, things like that. But just those things come up. Then it's, uh, I guess, misunderstanding is an obstacle if you're not careful. Misunderstanding. You mean like cultural misunderstanding? Yeah. Or? I, well, I mentioned this about uh, culture shock and and uh, ethnocentric type of personalities that mm-hmm. want to say. Our way is the best way, mm. you know, yeah. when you go places. And that can really be an obstacle if you're not teachable and open and mm. listening and learning from the nationals. Mm. So that you felt resistance from uh, from those in the places you were working that, like, their their way was the right way? Or did you feel that impulse yourself? That well, like I, I would feel that myself. I you see. You know, I caught myself gotcha. several times thinking like that. Gotcha. And, and, of course, you, they want to learn new things. So sometimes you think, well, this is a way to do things. But then sometimes you run into things they, they don't want to do it that way. Yeah. And you just have to say, well, let me look at what they're doing more and see. And find out that's the, there's not a good or better. It's just yeah. both are good. Yeah. And things. So. What, uh, what were some moments that made you feel like, okay, God is like, wow, he's blessing this work and this, and what I'm doing is, is worth the effort that's going into it. Uh, I guess the biggest thing, um, there's, there's a lot, as I was mentioning, the people, the investment in the life of the few mm-hmm. who really caught the vision and reproduced, Yeah, you know, and they're still reproducing. I still hear from, 12 or 15 men and women who are out there making disciples. Mm-hmm. One guy's traveling all over Africa 
with pastors, meeting with pastors and helping them to be focused on disciple making mm. in their churches. So the impact has gone there. There's a guy in Liberia that I had first worked with when we were there those seven years who's now working with the church growth area in the, the SM-related church. Okay. So I, you know, I always say, if you look back in the past, you know, what do you want to see? Not, I've built this or I've done that, but what has happened in the life of people and what are they doing? Are they able to, are you able to see them continuing? Yeah. And it's, that's, boy, you know, that's it. <laughs> you know? yeah. That's what's worth it. You may go, you know, missionaries go over and do a lot of things. And I've seen them go over as teachers in schools, missionary kids' schools. I've seen them go over as doctors. I've seen them go over as builders, as uh, evangelists or whatever. But the thing is, uh, you don't want to just be there building a building. You want it to affect lives of people. Yeah. It may help them together and worship together and all this in church. But uh, you want to keep a focus that the people are what's really important. What do you think? I mean, you've continued now to be involved in uh, teaching missionaries since you've retired from being overseas. Are there any characteristics that you think can just kind of maybe make or break someone that's a long-term missionary? It's some of the same things, I guess, that you run into. Um, I think it's the expectations that you go with. Okay. If you can get a more idea of what cultural shock is, mm. you know, uh, you it might not catch you unaware. Mm. And I think that's something that missionaries who are going long term need to really be aware of because you can have that happen almost and then not even realize it. Hmm. Maybe somebody will come along and point it out. Hmm. Uh, for long-term missionaries, I think it's good to have accountability. Okay. Get a close friend, missionary friend, other missionary friend, and or a group of men and, or women and meet with them. And just do, because we've had some real tragedies on the mission field of moral character and hmm. other problems that they have and things that um, they just weren't accountable to anybody and hmm. that's how they fell into sin. So that that's uh, several things I think that are really key and also not only build relationships with missionaries but with nationals. Okay. Because that's friendship wise. Yeah, yeah. Not just to be teaching them or whatever but as a friend. Hmm. You know because those are people who are going to help you when you do make mistakes, those are people who you are going to learn from about the culture. Hmm. Those are people who are going to really help you with questions that come up and what to do. Hmm. You know, I, you know, I've had things where some some countries you go to, you're going to have people coming all the time, you know, and asking to help for help. Okay, and you have to really pray through that. That's one thing I think a long-term missionary needs to be aware of. You know, you're not going to be able to help everybody. Hmm. And you're probably going to get took sometimes, you hmm. know. Taken advantage of. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I had one guy, just for instance, I had one guy who came into my, came into my office and said, uh, could I help him with his daughter that's uh, 
dying in the hospital hmm. and giving some money to help him. And so there had been cases where some people had knew that there was people going around trying to get money out of missionaries for hmm. family problems or something. But my co-worker, a Nigerian guy, I called him in. I said, well, what do you think? And he said, well, let's take him to the hospital and visit her and see what's going on before we do anything. So we went down to the hospital. He went with us. We walked in the hall and uh, down where he was supposed to be going to a room and zoom, <laughs> he was gone. Oh. There was no daughter there. Yeah. You no, know, he just was, once he saw that we were going to expect to see his daughter and mm. things before we'd help him. Yeah. So those kind of things, you know, you learn from the nationals. They don't do it. You know, they are careful. They know they can be taken and mm. they don't have that much money. Um, and that leads to the other thing. Um, I guess for both uh, long-term and short-term missionaries, we need to we need to realize we're rich. You know, we may not be it here. You know, we may have debt and all that yeah, over yeah. our head. But when you go to another country that is struggling financially, economically, and stuff, you're you're you you're rich, hmm. and you just have to face that and say, okay, I am. But like I said, you can't help everybody. You got to be wise in hmm. what you do. Help and ask God prayer for God helping to know what to do and do it in the right way. Mm. Is there, um, maybe that was just it, but is, I was going to ask, is there like a recurring thing that you found yourself trying to pass along to the missionaries that you teach? Yeah, when you, when you say missionaries teach, I guess you're referring to my trips I've taken. I've taken several trips to conferences for contacts I've got that are asking for um, <clears throat> discipleship equipping that's right ministry to yes the missionaries they're working with their pastors and well it's just basically the back to the same thing for all of us is make sure that you're grounded in that personal relationship with God and through his word and prayer and that's strategic uh, for them the second is is culture you know don't take your culture you know, and think it's the best to learn, be listening and learning. Hmm. And then, uh, I guess, um, for short term, it'd be to, to be sure you know how to share the gospel clearly, hmm. you know, simply and clearly. And um, the other things would be just give yourself, you know, more is caught than taught. Yeah, okay, you know what yeah. that phrase is, it's live your life out. Mm-hmm. And let them see it. Let them see your devotion to the Lord and in your times with Him and what that's doing in your life. Let them see the love you have for God and for them. And that is caught. And once, you know, that's part of the, I think, the lighting of the vision is to just get around somebody that you see um, has that kind of vision and fire in them. Mm. And you probably catch it mm. <laughs> if you stay around them long yeah. enough. So, yeah, I, I think that we try to give them basic uh, tools, you know, and say this is the things that will help you, you know, go out and, and make disciples mm. and things. Well, thank you so much, 
for this yeah. was, this was really cool to just kind of hear from your perspective, you know, uh, both uh, as it relates to long-term missions and then also uh, thoughts about short-term mission work. So I appreciate you. I think, you know, n- not a lot, uh, not necessarily a ton of people at Red Mountain are going to be uh, involved in long-term missionary work, but Red Mountain does have a focus on short-term missions. And so I think so much of what you've said really applies you know, in principle to that too. So this has been, this has been great. Thank you for doing this, Chuck. Appreciate it. Yeah. Can I say one more thing yeah, about yeah. that uh, comment? Um, it's interesting that we sometimes want to say, oh, you're a missionary, you know, foreign missionary. And we sort of look at that as the ultimate. Hmm. But I think in God's eyes, we're all missionaries. Yeah. Because we're given a message and we're given a command to take it and share it. And so, you know, we're all missionaries. So here, so a lot of that applies here. I, I think about our culture and how it's changing. How how relevant are we being to that culture? Hmm. And I think Red Mountain does do a, a good job on that. I mean, it's seeing people who have experienced you know different things than what they find and see at Red Mountain. Hmm. So that's really encouraging. So yeah, so you're kind of talking. You're kind of talking about taking that same principle of making sure that we are relating to the the locals, yeah. and saying that's absolutely applicable to our own neighborhood, and making sure that we are remaining able to connect with and understand and see the perspective of those right here in our own neighborhood, as opposed yeah. to kind of getting stuck in our our churchy ways. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. a great thought. Well, thank you for the opportunity. It's been a blessing for me, and I hope it comes out okay. Yeah, it's this was great. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. That was really cool. Um, so, what stood out to you, Matt, from our time talking to Chuck? Oh, so many things. Um, one. One. The most thing you only get one, and it's well, got to be the most impactful thing. <laughs> well, the first, I'm going to pick two. Okay. <laughs> one is I just I love Chuck. I think he's a good man. I think he loves Jesus, and it's just good to listen to our the men and women who've gone before us and listen to their stories. And so that was just the first thing. I was just enjoying hearing his story. I think the second thing that was impactful is a reminder. Uh. You know, these are not the words Chuck used, but we've talked, Chuck and I at lunch before, I've talked about the idea of, you know, we have this role uh, as teachers and educators to exegete the text, to, to figure out what's going on in the first century of the New Testament and figure out what, what that word meant then. And at the same time, he's talking about exegeting culture. When, when you come into a culture, whether it be Nigeria or Liberia or um, Mesa, and there is a narrative, there's something going on when we step into our workplaces and to our homes. And yeah. one of our jobs as Christians, um, and what's beautiful is if we have a job, it means Jesus has equipped us to do it through the Spirit, is to take a step back and listen and watch and learn and go, what are some of the narratives going on within my surroundings at my work today? Hmm. What's... Okay, what's what's actually being believed here and thought of? And then as we listen and learn and love and serve, we actually have a worldview that we have in Jesus that he is actually king, that he actually is true, and that he has a narrative, a story he's telling, that we're a part of it. How do we engage that and listen and 
gently push back when we're supposed to push back and mm-hmm. strongly push back when the Spirit gives us strength. And I just am encouraged by Chuck's heart that um, as he walked in to different places with his family, that they were uh, trying to learn from a completely different culture. It doesn't change the truth of Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, yeah. but it does change how we present and engage. Yeah. And I was just encouraged by that, that yeah. um, a man, whether he's in Mesa, Arizona, or in, in Liberia, Africa, he's trying to ask the question of what's going around in my culture. Holy Spirit, how do you want me to speak? How do you want me to live in light of this? How do I engage with this really difficult thing over here? Mm-hmm. And the whole time saying, how do I stay humble in the midst of that? Yeah. That I have this power infusing spirit inside of me that's life, but I'm also a human being who misses the mark sometimes, yeah. doesn't listen for the spirit's wisdom, makes my own choices, makes my own uh, impressions of people, and jumps a little ahead sometimes. So I was just encouraged by being ministered to by a man who I think has really sought to love Jesus and and learn as yeah. he's gone along. So yeah. how what, about you? Well, I think what stood out to me was um, how the body of believers was a, a recurring element in both his work and in just his sanctification and how he was, uh, he wasn't being a lone ranger Christian mm. in all of this and in the the mission that God gave him. God gave him the mission to go to these different places through the body of believers. Mm. And then once he was there, he was uh, getting uh, help and accountability from other believers. And I think that so much the more we head into this online virtual culture, more Mm. and more of us get more introverted. This is a page from my own diary here, you know, and uh, and so it's so tempting to just kind of think, I I can by myself hear the voice of the Spirit and Mm. and know with certainty that's what I'm Mm. being, what I'm supposed to do and I'm called to do. And it can just be this me and God thing, but God uses his body, Amen. you know, in order to, uh, to to send us out and to equip us and to and while we're out, mm-hmm. his his body is is meant to be with us. And so, just hearing that was uh, was really cool and challenging in all those uncomfortable ways. And mm-hmm. yeah, so that was good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then let's see with that thwack, we just ran into a big poll question at rmcchurch.org/podcast. The poll question this month, would you rather go on a cruise or a road trip? 45%. I think we got record number of votes. I think Arian was saying about like 100 people. Is that right? 100 people uh, clicked buttons on the internet page of our site to answer this question. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not going to judge how people spend their time. 45% uh, chose cruise and 55% said road trip. That's like really close, like almost neck and neck. Matt, do you have a preference, road trip or cruise? I always need context. Who am I taking the road trip with? Hmm. Am I alone? Who are you most likely to be taking a road trip with? That would be... My wife and my kids. Okay, so that's the scenario. Yeah. So maybe a crew... No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. No, I would probably, at this stage of life, I'd probably choose a road trip. Yeah. The adventures of seeing... Water and mountains and forest and city and yeah, I pick a road trip. I think I, I think I'm with you on that. I I I would say I'm not more often traveling with my family. I visit a friend out in California about once or twice a year, mm. 
And I love that drive every time. It's awesome. It's it, it's almost about the same if I wanted to buy a plane ticket, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but it's still just cost-wise a little bit better to drive mm-hmm. for us. Um, but on top of that, I love just like putting podcasts on and just having the solitude of the drive and see, and there's something about seeing the scenery go by, Yeah, you know, great. that, uh, I don't think in the cruise package we could afford, we would probably in the, be in the bowels <laughs> of the vessel and unable to see any scenery. So, sure. um, all right. Well, that's about it on the next podcast. We will have Kim and Brian Moody as our guests with co-host Becky Bibelheimer. Uh, for now, that's it for this episode of Living Stones. You can follow Red Mountain Community Church at MyRedMTN on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also go online to rmcchurch.org slash podcast to submit responses. It's responses. That's a little bit different from responses, but it's very similar, so we won't be confused. You can submit responses to our poll questions and leave questions for the guests featured on the next show. And as I said, which I guess I chose to repeat it in my script here, on our next episode, we'll be talking with Kim and Brian Moody with co-host Becky Bibelheimer. You can go online, once again, to rmcchurch.org slash podcast to submit your question uh, for them, and you may just hear it read on the next episode. In the meantime, I'm Peter Franson. I didn't prep Matt for this. I'm Peter Franson. I am Matthias Robert Gibson. Oh, my gosh. Thanks for listening. (laughs) We'll see you on Sunday. more work for Austin. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he's still editing this, right? Yeah. Okay. Hi, Austin. We miss you. Sorry for all the sound things. Sorry. I'm trying to think of all the things I can create for him that are difficult to get. <laughs>